Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Greetings, people of Earth. Welcome to episode 19 of the Dream 10X podcast. This is your boy, James Capel, and... The Doctor. (laughs) Doctor Who? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so uh, welcome. Thanks for tuning in to radio station 4056 at uh, 18 megahertz on the AM dial. Uh, always wonder, I wish I could be like a DJ on the old school <laughs> radio cool. stations. Um, but stringing together words for uh, for more than two minutes is often very difficult for me. So, But that's why it's a dream of mine to be a, a radio disc jockey. Anyway, <coughs> for this week, I wanted to talk about another book that I read. Uh, I'm really enjoying being able to sit down during the week and, and read a book. And I'm pretty close to my goal of reading a book a week for the remainder of 2000, what were we in? 2020. And uh, actually, so anyway, the book that I read this week is Ray Kurzweil's book, The Age of Spiritual Machines. And this book is about artificial intelligence, the rise of artificial intelligence, the rise of technology within the human race, and how the improvements in our technological advances are, are giving rise to our creation of artificial intelligence or man-made intelligence and how that intelligence is ultimately going to supersede us and um, we may even become merged into this intelligence to the point where humans don't even exist anymore. Humans as we know it. Humans as we know it and the whole process of this, this whole event where humans become merged with our technological innovations is what Kurzweil refers to as the singularity. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've heard of this before, but getting a, a more in-depth look into what the singularity really means has been a really fascinating rabbit hole. And I, I could stay down in this rabbit hole for a while. <laughs> I've just learned all kinds of new interesting things. He starts out by going, looking at the history of everything, and which I thought was also interesting. Why start with a history of everything? Like he's trying to explain the entire, you know, it's like a hawking theory of everything, going back to the very beginning, prior to the Big Bang, when all uh, matter, space time everything was fitting into some i don't know tennis ball size orb um which was you what somebody could say was highly organized everything was all in one thing and then all of a sudden absolute chaos and in the earliest stages of that absolute chaos during the big bang uh as this matter expanded into the farthest reaches of empty space a huge amount of uh, increasing chaos and decreasing order mm. and in that timeline um, change is happening really fast at the beginning, beginning because you have a lot of heat and that heat starts to slow down and then you have a lot of 
matter just dispersing out and so there's a there's a lot of change a lot of chaos um, and significant events are occurring really quickly and then those significant events slow down as matter spews out into the nether nether reaches it's an interesting thought to think about how time and so he starts talking about Einstein's theory of relativity and how time is relative to your perspective and how quickly things are changing due to the amount of chaos in the system that you're involved in and um, it was just a, a totally interesting way to start thinking about life in the world for me and so he draws an interesting chain so as things expand out to the universe you got all this matter and particles and stuff and eventually slowly but surely these little dust particles start to stick together and form planets and slowly but surely that uh, that big bang moment when you had a highly ordered system go to an extremely disordered system that extremely disordered system starts to coagulate slowly but surely into more ordered systems yeah it's called emergence theory it's pretty cool and chaos theory we've actually read a lot about that in leadership development ironically which is weird what yeah. leadership development have to do with that yeah stuff? well like in my in my doctorate program we studied a lot of it with change management leadership development those kinds of things because it's very to organizations extremely relevant um in terms of um biology and how we create chaos and then we have to self-organize because our brains don't function well if we're not organized and so our brains compartmentalize how we process information um, so it's, I, I think it's really interesting that he made that analogy. It is. And it's funny you say that because as I was reading that, I, for some reason, was thinking about organizations mm -hmm. as well and how directly applicable his ideas are to organizations. Um, exactly along those lines that you're talking about, that um, the more chaos there is, the less frequently significant events happen in an organization and the more organized things are the faster more significant events happen so to me I, I don't know if that's a law of physics or whatever or if that's just something Kurzweil came up with or what but it does seem logical and it does seem that from an organizational business perspective you will benefit financially by having the most well organized internal systems as you as you can possibly put together and chaos is your enemy so now we've got planets forming uh, so we now are having a little bit of organization involved in the um, universal system as planets start to form and then slowly but surely we've got um, you know single-celled organisms starting to come to life and then anoxic or lack of oxygen environment and then from there you get multiple cells and then before you know it um, you've got this this soup of life that gives rise to more complex organisms and then you've got dinosaurs and blah 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 and then you've got evolution kicking in full steam uh, starting to organize things evolution is starting to organize okay i got life i'm going to organize this life and start creating some really complex creatures and We'll see how that goes. And bada bing, you got humans. And um, while life is evolving, all, all species of animals, pretty much, he, he argues, use, start creating technology from, from the lowest species like ants 
to crows to you know, of course humans to uh, primates mm -hmm. they start we all start figuring out ways to create technology through through technology meaning tools mm -hmm. we create tools from from nature we use a twig or whatever to help get bugs from a hole or something like that we start crafting tools to help make our existence easier and better and to help ensure our survival and those tools are our technology and humans of course have evolved those simple tools from the early days into more complex things cars houses computers you name it um, so he lays out this chain of things that are all linked together that are, is so simple that it, it just was but really profound to me so we, the, everything starts from physics mm -hmm. Phys physics is like the root of everything um, which begets chemistry and then chemistry you know you've got the the when, when the world first formed you have all these carbons and all this stuff coming together to form this soup uh, in, a, in an environment that, where there was no oxygen to form these single-celled things, that's chemistry. That's mm -hmm. chemistry taking place before yeah. you actually have biology. So the chemistry begets biology. So from those single-celled anoxic environment, you start getting these multiple cells that, that create biology. And then ultimately from biology, you get technology. And so he starts to lead us down the path where we start from a singularity before the Big Bang. Big Bang, And this chain of, uh, I don't know, what, what do you call physics, chemistry, biology? This chain of disciplines, uh, yeah, fields of knowledge, yeah. I don't know, uh, kind of linked together to take us back to the singularity <laughs> through, through technology. And he says that the evolution of tools from a biological system is a law of the universe. Mm -hmm. And he claims, I don't know how he makes that claim, but he claims that if you can find life on any planet anywhere, that that life has evolved some technology. <clears throat> Even if it's as simple as you know, pulling a limb off of a tree to yeah. use it to dig, dig in the dirt or whatever, that all life tries to make its life easier through uh, through the building of technology. Mm -hmm. It's cool. <laughs> it blows my mind. It was, it was a really interesting thing to think about. And um, he, the, I guess the whole crux of the, techno the technological point here that I want to dig in, get into a little bit deeper here, uh, of course, in this context is artificial intelligence. But um, he does say that technology is ultimately our the our human creation of technology is ultimately what's going to not end our demise necessarily but yeah end our demise and mm. <laughs> he tries to shy, shy away from actually saying that but i think i think that's what he really means uh, on page 129 he says first we have to recognize that the more powerful technology the technologically more sophisticated civilization always wins. That appears to be what happened when our Homo sapiens sapiens subspecies met the Homo sapiens neanderthalensis, or the Neanderthals, you know, the, the less intelligent, advanced uh, humanoid species, and other non-surviving subspecies of human Homo sapiens. 
That is what happened when the more technologically advanced Europeans encountered the indigenous peoples of the Americas. This is happening today as the more advanced technology is the key determinant of economic and military power. Wow. Yeah. So technology is is marching ever forward and um, it <laughs> it just sounds like from this book that it's ultimately going to destroy us for a wholesome number of reasons. So let's talk about those reasons. First of all, he's got a, a good quote here um, where he says, technology is the continuation of evolution by other means. Have you ever read Clausewitz? Uh, a long time ago. <laughs> and you know the famous read. quote from Clausewitz, right? Tell me. Von Krieg. Tell me. On War. Yeah. It was written by Clausewitz. And, you know, Prussian general. His, his famous quote from that book is, um, war is a continuation of politics mm -hmm. by other means. Thank you. <laughs> but here he's saying technology, is that war? <laughs> it's the continuation of evolution, which means politics by other means. Interesting. That's a pretty powerful statement. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um... Technology is a continuation of evolution by other means, and that fits into his chain of physics, chemistry, biology, mm -hmm. technology. Um, so, uh, so technology now, in the context of the rest of this book, is computing in mm -hmm. computers, computing power, and that takes us to Moore's law. You know what Moore's law is? I don't. Tell me. So Moore's law uh, was a quote-unquote law or idea that originated I guess in the late 60s early 70s by uh, was it George Moore the found one of the co-founders of uh, Gordon Moore sorry mm -hmm. Gordon Moore one of the co-founders of Intel you know Intel is right Intel is a computer company right they make computer chips central processing unit chips primarily uh, what's something I would know that they make um you remember those commercials back in the day? Ding, ding, ding. The, do, do, the, do, do. Yeah. <laughs> the central processing unit chips that are inside of a large number of computers. Like Dell the CPU. and Max and those Dell, kind of things. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's also AMD and others as well, but they're, okay. they were one of the big ones. Anyway. Okay. Uh, this company has been central in the, has been, has been a core of the rise of personal computing just absolutely essential. And Gordon Moore was one of the co-founders of this company. And so his, he, he posited early on that the speed of these central processing units, these chips that they were making, would double in speed and power roughly every two years. And it, you know those kind of prognostications are hard to live up to because so much can happen, mm -hmm. but that has become true for roughly the last 50 years or so. And because of that, it's been dubbed a law. Uh, and, and because of that doubling of power, um, that's been one of the things that kind of, I'm sure was in the, the mind of Kurzweil when he wrote his book to, to say that, hey, there's going to come a point where machines just get so fast and powerful that they're going to become 
so much more smart, smarter than us and we, we can't keep up and we're going to have to merge with the machine in order to stay relevant and until we eventually get to the point where we just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be computers or, or live in the World Wide Web or whatever. Um, so the, int- the really, there's a, there's a lot of, so first of all, I want to, you bought this book for me mm-hmm. a couple years ago and it's been sitting on my shelf and I, in relation to our last pot, last, last episode's discussion on machine learning and AI, I decided to pick this up and give it a read because I knew this was related and I can't believe the timeliness. It must be synchronicity how timely this book is because Everything starts to happen at the year 2019, 2020 mm. in this book. Um, so one of the things that he predicted, he wrote the book in 1999, okay? And he lays out a history, uh, you know, he looks back at the world, uh, looks back at everything and kind of tries to figure out how it all started. And then from the time he wrote the book, he tries to look forward and see, well, how's it all going to end, <laughs> basically. And there's significant waypoints that he talks about in the, t- in the history of man um, from 1999 to um, 2000 or 2019, 2020, the next two decades, according to this book, are pivotal in the history of mankind because of the technology that we've created. That's terrifying. And a large part of it is driven by Moore's Law and what happens to Moore's Law. What happens? So we've had the processing power of chips getting faster and faster every two years or so for the last 50 years. And the Gross domestic product of the entire world has exploded because of the processing power of the technology, the computing technology that we have created. It truly is an economic tide that has lifted all boats worldwide. That's incredible. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. It does. That's From incredible. personal computing yep. to enterprise computing to cloud computing mm-hmm. to mobile phones to Everything Fax we do, machines, everything we to use. Scan, like, name something it has not. Smart refrigerators. Everything. Hot dog, no hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> everything yeah. has just World Wide Web. I mean, that 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 huge growth that happened in 2000, 1998 to 2000. Um, Amazon, Google. Can you imagine a life without? computers right now hmm. I think it would be amazing <laughs> would it really I mean in some respects we you know camping it is amazing when mm-hmm. it is, we're away from everything yeah but could, what about protracted amount of time where oh what it, I got this weird illness and I can't see a doctor uh, let's let's hop on online and research a little bit mm-hmm. but we can't do that that's true or you can't like connect with your friends on the other side of the world. Or, right. Yeah. Or what just happened in New York? There was some event we can't we can't find out about it. Yeah, you're right. So that information is really critical to our current state. Of I can't culture. text my kids because I don't have any technology. Yeah. So the impact is uh, we can't we don't we can't even perceive can't perceive the impact. <laughs> 
Um, and because of that, we can't turn off our machines. We can't turn mm. off our computers. He makes the argument in the book that there's no way we can live without computers. And a corollary to that is there's no way we can uh, stop innovating with technology because we're, there's so many people's, uh, how do you put it, money, investments, uh, shareholders, everybody's banking on the continuous evolution of technology year after year. Speed is improving. Everything's innovating. Mm-hmm. year after year but guess what they're talking about now with uh, relation to Moore's law what's that that we've reached the physical limitations of silicone chip and that we're almost if not there to the point where we can't realistically double processing power anymore and guess when that's happening right now <laughs> like about right now dang wow so Moore's law is obsolete uh, people are saying that There's, the whispers are starting to come out and what what's going to happen to our economy yeah what's going to happen to innovation yeah yeah i think that's why we're seeing the big boom in artificial intelligence so can you talk a little bit about why it's obsolete because we talked earlier about the whole sand aspect and and i think that was interesting well uh i'm not sure what nothing is obsolete yet but I think the law, uh, the law being obsolete, obsolete yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. I think we're, we're almost at the point where that 50 year run of that, of that truth being true year after year is no longer going to be the case. It's all about the number of transistors you can fit on a chip, right? Oh, okay. Um, and I don't, I'm not an electrical engineer, so yeah. I can't talk any more detail about that. <laughs> it's something that I've read. It's transistors on a chip. It's somehow about a big. You get some smart machine. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. But, um, you know, there are laws of physics that apply in the, in the real world. Um, maybe not at the quantum level, but, and that's where we are. So maybe there is something there. And maybe we've gotten to the point where we're, we break through this quantum barrier and all of a sudden we've got quantum computing that, you know, makes Moore's Law look like child's play. But uh, we don't know yet. But we're at the point now where we've gotten transistors down to the size of atoms, uh, pretty much, mm-hmm. uh, on a chip. And we can't, is there anything smaller than an atom? I don't know. I don't think you, I don't think you can go any smaller, right? Yeah, I don't think so. So, and, and so we're at that point, and then we're also at the economic point where companies are like, I don't know if I really want to invest money mm. to figure that out at this point because I'm still squeezing a lot of money out of consumers with what we got. So, uh, I've read articles that we may at, be at a phase where, hey, we're happy with where we're at because the companies are still making money at the current level of performance of, of, of technology. And um, maybe we don't want to sink more R&D money in to figure out how to get through that barrier to mm-hmm. keep doubling. And that makes sense because right now consumers, not everybody has, I just got an iPhone XR for work, but I would never buy that for myself. Um, so until consumers are, I guess, at the highest level of being able to use all that top equipment. I think that's another great aspect of, is that consumers are burned out. Yeah. You know, like, technology's just been... You know, like you said, new iPhone every freaking six months or every year. Like, oh, ah, yeah. I, can't, 
afford a thousand dollar phone every year. And it's not that wildly different than the last one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about ten feet bigger or something. And we're back to the original size phone, right? You know, like, <laughs> as long as we don't have that antenna too. <laughs> yeah. But the way reception is now, <laughs> you know. Oh, but we got five G. That's going to solve everything. <laughs> So yeah, the the pace has just been blistering for the last 50, 50 years, and it's gotten faster. And so, I can totally see it slowing down at this point. Like I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, another key, there's just so many key aspects to talk about here. So, um, where do I, I want to go? Another key aspect is that uh, Kurzweil claims that 1990 or 20, we're not in the 1900s anymore. The 2019 to 2020 is when we will have the computing power of a human brain um, at uh, the personal computing level at around the, um, he says $4,000 in 1999 times, but I think that's around Mm $6,000 in um, current time. So in other words, if you have 6,000, anybody with $6,000 can go out and buy a computer that has the processing power of a human brain. That's incredible. Um, so just to put a little bit of a technical thing on there, and I, I don't know much about any of this stuff. I just started reading about it, actually. But So there's this thing called floating point operations, right? FLOP, floating point operation, okay. which is a computing technical term. And it basically talks about how quickly a computing device can process information. Flo- okay. Floating point operations, math-based. Okay. Um, so a human brain will operate and I, again, I don't know how they measure the flops of a human brain. Like, I I don't know how they do that. So I'm just taking it with a grain of salt that, but these guys, what I read online and through what Kurzweil says, a human brain can operate at basically petascale, a petaflop, which is around 10 to the 15 or 10 to the 21st power okay. of, of flops. So that puts you in the petaflop range. <laughs> right now, um, you can buy machines that are operating, a, a regular Joe can buy a personal computer that's operating in the teraflop range, which is around oh. 10 to the, uh, you know, it, it differs, but around 10 to the 12th power. So that put, that's you're in the teraflop range. So, so the average Joe is not really able to afford a, a human brain powered capable personal computer yeah but so close <laughs> pretty damn close and um we definitely do have the cap- the technological capability to put together machines that run as fast as a human brain mm-hmm. and probably exceeds it when you consider the capabilities of cloud companies google amazon microsoft whatever so are companies, do you know companies out there that would exceed that or that are, are using that technology to exceed it or? Um, yeah. So NVIDIA, I mean, I was, look, I was looking at companies that I could buy a petaflop personal computer from mm-hmm. and uh, in my price range, which according to this book should be around 6K. Mm-hmm. You can't find it. Like uh, at least I couldn't find anything between the day before and today. Okay. Maybe somebody knows something out there that exists, but uh, to get in the petaflop range, I think you're looking at, you can buy um, a small cluster of GPUs from NVIDIA 
for um, roughly $250,000, which puts you in the petaflop range. So, you know, imagine these companies who have millions or billions yeah. of dollars, what they're able to put together if they want to. Which makes me wonder where, so if we were, if, we're, if we can actually build, I know we can, we can build a machine that's many times faster than a human brain now. Yeah. What are people, what are the R&D places doing with that? Like I have not heard anything. I have not heard of any sentient machines anywhere. So either they exist inside some secret research lab somewhere, or they don't exist at all, and we're only able to use that computing power to predict the weather or predict the stock market or or whatever. That's so interesting. So I think, in some, that we are not yet on the timeline that Kurzweil has laid out in his book for 20. So, so 10 years after he wrote this, I think we're already pretty far behind where he says we should be. And he says that by 2025, you should be able to buy a personal computer for a thousand dollars, 1999. So whatever that is, two or three grand in current time, um, that's as powerful as a human brain. Wow. So I don't think we're there. No, I don't think so either. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, but we're getting close. Um, add that to the fact that Moore's law is seems to be coming to a conclusion, and there doesn't seem to be a second act really. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of buzz over artificial intelligence and how the um, the industry seems to be moving away from you know the hype around the CPU and Moore's law to the GPU, the graphical processing unit, uh, which is the, the the chip that gamers are mostly familiar with because yeah. it gives you the fancy graphics. It can process so much data so much faster and make your gaming experience a lot better. Is that, does our PlayStation have that? PlayStations have GPUs in them, yep. Oh, okay. But I don't know if it's a different. Do you have to have, the, so question, just from a layman, do you have to have a certain monitor to make that really be effective? Mm-mm. No, I mean, a nice resolution helps, mm-hmm. but it's really the GPU that's doing all the, the, the number crunching and giving you the smooth frames per second. Okay. Those okay. complex computer-generated scenes. Okay. And so, if it weren't for games, we wouldn't have these fancy GPUs, and we wouldn't have anything for the AI crowd to be saying, hey, this could be our answer for moving Moore's Law into the future. Mm-hmm. Because without that, what are we? What are we doing? We're just what, what? What driving force do we have to keep innovating in the with our t- computer tools? Yeah. Um, which brings me to another thought just now that why does he focus on computers as being the only tools that mean anything to humans? Okay, so are you talking like technology tools? Or are you yeah, yeah, like, yeah, technology. Okay. Why, why is that the only technology that matters to humans? Like, hmm. just because, why? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Like, as far as technology, the microwave is super important, and that's... Airplanes. Airplanes. Yeah, why could that be? Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Cars? I don't know. I, I just think it's an odd focus, mm-hmm. and, and it kind of gives a dark future, like... I was reading his book and how he predicts that post around 2039, so two, 20 years from now, that 
machines will far outpace humanity mm-hmm. and humans human professionals will spend most of their day studying and trying to learn to keep pace in a professional environment with the machines and will be failing horribly and they will need implants to connect them to networks and other knowledge banks in order to keep pace with technological advancement and uh after that we're basically done like there's you know we can't machines just become so much smarter they become like gods and we're irrelevant at that point so it's kind of israel so it's a dark (laughs) it's kind of a dark thing and and he talks about the possibility that we can scan our brains and have our our who we are essentially from a thinking standpoint downloaded to a machine or uploaded to a machine however you want to look at it yeah and we talked about this a little bit so there's a show called altered carbon on netflix that's really interesting because it does exactly that. And then it, you get downloaded into a little disc and everybody, as soon as they're born, has a little like drive inserted into their spine. And so when, when you die, um, that disc gets pulled out. And if you're one of the wealthy or you're in a service industry, like say you're a soldier, then your disc gets put into another body. Mm. And uh, so you could just keep on living or dying and living and dying. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting concept. It is. And it kind of makes it seem like you're only what you think. What, what goes on. You're, you're yeah. only what's in your memory and what you think. And that your body is irrelevant. But I, I don't... I have a hard time seeing that. Like... Yeah, you mentioned, like, where's our consciousness? Where's our emotion? Where's, uh, where's all these other aspects of who we are as humans? Yeah, but I also feel like our body is a big part of our, you know, who we are in our brain, kind of. Like, it's hard to, for me to see a separation between the two. So if you suddenly woke up in the body of a tiny Asian woman, <laughs> you would feel very out of sorts, no doubt. Because, okay, James is six foot two. He's a six foot two, like, warrior, big, beefy guy. So, I mean, that would be exactly the opposite of where you are now, like, being something small. So, like, or I guess your whole spatial I, awareness and it, way of being would be And so it would different. change who I am. Yeah. It would change how I relate to the world. Oh, yeah. That's true. How you interact It would with change it. my confidence, I oh. think. Yeah. I'd be afraid of the cat. You know? <laughs> I was going to say you'd be like super. <laughs> and, and, and likewise, if I were to wake up inside of a computer and I, maybe I couldn't see, maybe you can't see, you can only hear. I, I don't know. Like you have, you, you can't move around. You're like, you don't know where you are. Mm-hmm. There's another but, book I reckon I was telling James about the other day called Bob and it's hilarious. And it talks about exactly that where the guy dies and his brain gets uploaded and he doesn't know he suddenly just wakes up and he's in space and then he realizes he's he is the spaceship and Mm. so it's how he relates to the world and how he like goes through that whole psychological dynamic like i am just a thing and i don't have anybody to talk to and really really interesting and and very funny i do recommend it Mm. yeah but i i guess um if you get uploaded to a machine you've got the the virtual worlds that are there that maybe it's like an infinite inner space that you you now belong to and could That's true. It could be a lot better. Um, but then that also takes me back to my sister just FaceTiming me oh, yeah. two days ago 
with her computer stuck in an infinite loop and not knowing <laughs> an infinite boot loop and not knowing how the heck to solve it. And uh, how many Microsoft. people have seen this over and over? Yeah. You know, I really think that we need new operating systems. <laughs> like the, the operating well, system. Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of things have to change in order to get to. Yeah the utopia I, I guess utopia if you would call it that the computing utopia that Kurzweil is um, aspiring to in this book so there's a lot of cultural factors within that too because the entire world is used to Microsoft and Mac yeah and so anything else coming in new is foreign and scary and would completely have a whole change of interface with businesses and people and everything else and, yeah and so culturally I think that has to drive it yeah and, and maybe that's um, there's a lot of uh, um, allusions to software helping to bridge the gap between this lull in Moore's law mm -hmm. and uh, in the the hypercomputing of AI, and and maybe that's you know maybe the change in operating systems. Yeah. <laughs> Can you build one, please? <laughs> hey, between Mac and Windows, no. it's not cutting it, dude. No. It's not good enough. Not good enough. With all the updates and the slowdowns and ugh, mm -hmm. forget about it. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was my big takeaway from this book. It was um, extremely enlightening. It made me think a lot. Um, it also uh, made mention of Luddites. Luddites. What's Do you know that? what a Luddite is? Nope. So in England, in the seventeen late 1700s, 1778, I think, according to Wikipedia, there was this guy who didn't really exist, but somehow he became the poster child for the Luddites. His name was Ned Ludd. And at the time, weavers, textile weavers, people who made... What's a textile? Like, like a carpets cough, and cloth, 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 yeah, anything okay. that's like fabric. Fabric and cloth, yeah. Textile makers at the time, you know, uh, it was a cottage industry. Everything was made by hand until the machines came along and made it easier to make these textiles and summarily put a lot of the craftsmen out of business. Mm. And they lost their jobs and angered a lot of them. And this make-believe Ned Ludd guy supposedly smashed some of these machines. And thus the term Luddites were born. And it's basically to describe people who are against technology mm -hmm. <laughs> you know displacing the craftsmen and humanity and taking away jobs and income and that kind of thing and so he talks about that aspect um, th that opposing force to technological innovation the Luddites and how Ted Kaczynski was a Luddite that's and, so interesting. And, and Kaczynski's manifesto is actually presented in this book. Wow. And it's very lucid, and it makes total logical sense. Now, trying to blow people up doesn't make any sense at all, but his rationale behind the whole thing, from a Luddite perspective, makes a lot of sense. You can totally see why people would be concerned about the explosion of technology displacing, not only displacing... Uh, workers and income and that kind of thing but technology does lock you into kind of this 24-7 mode I, I see I, I'm there as a mm -hmm. software engineer like I'm totally like studying and trying to keep on top or not on top but trying to catch up <laughs> with where stuff is going yeah. so what what Kurzweil mentions in this book how people have to work harder and harder and harder as technology advances just to stay relevant <laughs> is completely I'm I'm, I'm living that every day and I I kind of hope it backs off a little bit like 
because I, I don't want to work as hard forever, you know? <laughs> and I don't want my kids to either, yeah. just to have to keep keep pace with the machines and technological innovation. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's the way life should be. I agree, 100%. So, there's I, I, I love technology, but I don't want to be a slave to it. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants to be a slave to it. But it, we yeah, all we are. But we can't live without it. Yeah. And we can't stop. We can't stop the system. And he talks about that too. You can't stop the system, <laughs> which is a little disconcerting. So how do you find a balance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Think, That's for another podcast. I think you have to build an AI and ask it. <laughs> <laughs> what is the ultimate That's question? That's the recursive <laughs> nature of. <laughs> Forty-two is the ultimate answer. What's the ultimate question? <laughs> so. There's lots of stuff to, to talk about here, but I think we'll leave it there. Sounds good. So, thanks for listening. Uh, highly recommend you pick up Ray Kurzweil's Age of Spiritual Machines and at least think a little bit about where we're headed with technology and try to stay relevant because I think it's, uh, regardless of where Moore's Law is right now, I think it's going to continue to speed up. So, <laughs> fasten your seatbelt. This next decade is going to be amazing. Namaste. (laughs) Talk to you next week. Cheers. Bye.